This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. It is good to see you guys. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. If you are new within the last uh, four or five weeks, I I actually do work here, Um, and so it's good to see you. My wife and I returned this past week from a five-week sabbatical that the board had given to us, and so it was just a a really wonderful time, but we are thrilled to be back. We are ready to go. Um, Two questions. I've got a lot. I'm not going to bore you, but I'm going to try to save myself some time later maybe, Uh, is what did you do? And what did you learn? And so the, the primary purpose of the sabbatical the, the board gave to us was uh, rest. And so I rested. I didn't work. I ignored my email. And it was glorious. Um, you know, and I just hung out with my family. We took a couple out-of-town trips. Angie and I spent a week alone together. And that was wonderful as well. And so we just, just hung out. We went to some basketball tournaments, which maybe to some of you doesn't sound real restful but does my heart really, really good. It was just a a chance to hang out with my family and do some things that I normally don't get to. Um, What I learned in that process is uh, rest is one of those things that's really good for you, but you don't really know how bad you need it until you do it, right? Like that idea of you you don't really know how tired you are until you stop running. Um, Like maybe not, maybe some of you are like, I'm tired as soon as I start running. Uh, That's that's like another conversation of of some changes that could be made. But, uh, you know, it was just, it was really good for us. We've been on staff at Christian Chapel for 16 years. We've been the lead pastor for eight years uh, and, and didn't really realize the pace at which we were living until we took away a significant chunk of it. And so it was really a good time for us to, to reflect, to reprioritize our life. I learned, uh, which I, I mean, I knew it before, but I really love my family. Like I, I love hanging out with them. I think by the end, they were ready for me to go back to work. Um, but, but I loved, it was just a lot of fun. Um, I learned that I really missed you guys. Not, not like the first two or three weeks. I mean, just I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't miss anyone the first two or three weeks. Uh, but, but week four, week five, it, it was really like, it's, it's time to go back. I miss my friends. I miss worshiping together. Last Sunday, I was in uh, St. Louis with my oldest son at a, a basketball camp, and the, the gym backed up to a church parking lot. And as I was walking into the gym uh, to watch him, I could hear the music coming out of the church. And it was just this instant feeling of, I just want to go home. I just want to go back to Christian Chapel. I want to be with my people. I want to worship God together. So it's really good for us. The other thing Angie and I learned, we, we know that our lives are interconnected here, um, but we really realized it when we attempted to take a break and disconnect of like, well, that's cool for us, but our kids were not having that. Like they were still going to ministry camp. They were still going to kids camp. They were still griping at me of why aren't you going to go to the pool party? That's not really work. You can't say that. And, and so we had, had all of those fun conversations, but it was a reminder to us, uh, us of this is a really special place that God has put us, uh, not just that, that we love and we get to pursue God's calling, but where our kids are loved and known and really deeply invested. Um, the, the last thing I learned was that uh, Christian Chapel doesn't need me, but I'm privileged to be here. And, and what I mean by that is it was, it was wonderful for me uh, to step back for five weeks and see how much ministry occurred when I was gone and how well everyone did. It was a, a good reminder of the, the amazing leaders that Christian Chapel has. So I want to say thank you to a, a couple groups of people. First of all, I want to say thank you to our board of deacons for giving Angie and I that opportunity. You guys didn't have to do that, but you did, and we appreciate it. 
I want to say thank you to our pastoral staff. They stepped up in massive ways uh, while I was gone and took on, they did all their jobs and they did all my job and then they did a whole bunch of stuff that we don't know whose job it is. Uh, But they did it with excellence. They did it with perseverance. They mourned with those who mourned. They celebrated with those who celebrated. They just did an incredible, incredible job. And then lastly, I want to say thank you to Rubens Cunha, to Clifton Talbert, Pastor Kareem, Pastor Amy, Pastor Chris. Uh, The last five weeks, they did a wonderful job finishing out that summer psalm series. I didn't listen to any of it until this past Sunday and Monday, and then I listened to all of them. Um, and, and I loved hearing from them. I loved the things God spoke through them to me as I was driving around in the car and mowing the grass, and I, I believe he spoke to you through them as well. So will you just join me in expressing our appreciation to our staff, our board, and all of those guest speakers. Love you guys. Uh, but now I'm back, and it's time to go to work. So um, I haven't preached in five weeks. I have not went five weeks without preaching or teaching in some capacity in 20 years. So uh, I saw last week Pastor Amy preach for 23 minutes. And if, if that was your first Sunday here, I just need you to know that's not normal. And you need to lay that expectation down, right? Like 23, I saw him like 23 minutes. That's like an introduction and one and a half points. Uh, and then I saw Pastor Chris had preached for 27 minutes the week before, and thankfully, Pastor Kareem, he was with me right there, like 36 minutes. So good job. I appreciate it, Rubens. I think right in that ballpark as well. So, you know, just sometimes you got things to say, right? Yeah, the Lord inspires, and we got to say it. So, um, so yeah, I, I, uh, you know, we're back at second service. I hope you brought snacks today. It might, it might just take a while. Um, before we jump into our, our new Seek First series, I want to acknowledge about 40 very special guests that we have with us this morning. Freedom House Adult Teen Challenge. All those ladies are joining us here today. It is great to see all of you. Um, I see Carlene Quist back there. So Carlene and several ladies from Christian Chapel spend a lot of time and effort and energy assisting with Freedom House. Freedom House is a a wonderful ministry organization that helps women, I mean, it's in the name, find freedom in Christ. And so these ladies are going through a a year-long, intense uh, process of laying aside an old, dead way of life and embracing the new life that Christ has for them. And I mean, if you don't think Jesus changes lives, I'm going to tell you, just pick any one of them. It doesn't even matter, right? Is that accurate? Okay. I mean, if there's one of you that's like, no, just tell me and we'll let you go first. But but pick any one of them and say, what has Jesus done for you? And they are going to blow you away with their story of his grace, his forgiveness, his restoration. It's it's really an, an amazing thing. So ladies, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, We support Freedom House through our Kingdom Builders Giving, so when you participate in that, uh, these are the the types of people that Jesus is changing through it. They're going to go over to Carl and Carlene's house afterwards. I think they've got a big lunch and then a a pool baptism, right? Who's Who's getting baptized today? All right, there we go. That is incredible. Will you guys, I mean, we, we got time, right? It's not the time constraints of first service. If, if you're one of them being baptized, are you comfortable, even if you're not, will you please stand up where you are? We want to pray for you. Baptism is a wonderful celebration, and we can't, I don't think at least Carlene wants us all at her house. No, she says, <laughs> Carl's at home cooking, he would be mad at us. So, uh, but will you join me in praying for these ladies that today's just a momentous occasion? Lord, we thank you 
for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your freedom and your deliverance that you have poured out on each one of these ladies. Lord, we thank you that every song we sang this morning is the story of their life. You've made a way for them, Lord, where there was no way. You have broken in and transformed their hearts and minds. You've bought freedom, you've bought life, and you have given it to them. And now, Lord, we pray on their baptism day that it would be more than symbolic, but you would do a deep and eternal work in their heart, reminding them that they have died forever to an old, dead way of life, and they have been raised to new life in Christ, never to go back, never to turn away, but to experience the fullness of life that you have for them. Jesus, we thank you that their lives are a testimony of your saving and transforming power. And we pray today that they would have an extra experience of your power and your presence in their lives as they publicly declare their new life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, ladies. We are thrilled thrilled to have you. Uh, so we're going to jump right in. We're starting a new series today called Seek First. And so over the next six to eight weeks, we're going to explore what it means to put Jesus first in every part of our life. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 is going to be our foundational verse. Uh, in there, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, Matthew chapter 6 comes right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the longest continuous section of teaching that we get from Jesus in the scriptures, right? It's, it's him doing what I'm doing this morning at a much higher and more effective level, right? It's him saying, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what kingdom people do. This is how kingdom people live. This is who's welcome into the kingdom. These are the characteristics that are embraced in the kingdom. This is what's expected when you take your place in it. So, so it's a, a wonderful spot. If you're not really familiar with what Jesus' kingdom is or what that kind of lifestyle looks like, go home today. It'll take you about 15 minutes and just read kind of carefully and slowly Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it, it'll open your eyes up to what the, the life that Jesus is promising to you. Now, this, this passage that we have this morning in Matthew 6, 33 takes place in a little section of Jesus' teaching where he's talking about worry, anxiety, and stress. And so the, the verses on each side of verse 33 talk to us about, hey, don't give your time and your energy to worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. Don't worry about tomorrow. Instead, Jesus tells us, seek first his, God's kingdom, and his righteousness. And then he says, all of these other things will be given to you as well. So what we're going to do over the next six to eight weeks is just kind of slowly work through some different parts of life where we want to put Jesus first. So when you came in, on the, the floor in front of you, there were these little seek first notebooks. So we, we're giving those to you as an opportunity uh, just to jot down some thoughts as we work through this over the coming weeks. Because here's the thing, you can learn all the information in the world about putting Jesus first. And that's good. As you learn, as God speaks, we want you to jot that down. There's a pen there, right? I know nobody ever has a pen with them for anything anymore. So now there's a pen. There's some actual paper. You can take real notes and just jot down the things that God speaks to you. And then my, my greater prayer is not just that you walk out with a little notebook full of notes at the end of eight weeks, but that you begin to apply the things that you're writing down. 
Because the, the information is great, but when it comes with application, then it brings transformation. Right, and, and that's what we're going to do. So, so today is going to be foundational. We're going to just in, in three points real quick talk about what it means to seek first, what it means to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness, and then what it means for Jesus to promise to take care of all of these other things. And then next week, we're going to jump into to just some really practical applications. So next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to seek Jesus first in our thoughts. Right? Your, your thought life is, is something you typically don't think about very much, uh, ironically. And yet, it is the foundation for most of your beliefs, most of your actions. And so if you're, if you're plagued by negative thoughts, if you're plagued by destructive thoughts, if you're plagued by insecure thoughts, by doubts, if you are plagued by overthinking, overanalyzing, all of those kinds of things, I want to encourage you, come back next week. We're going to talk about what it looks like to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, and how when we seek Jesus first there, it begins to flow out into all of those other areas. Then two weeks from today on Labor Day weekend, we're going to talk about what it looks like to seek Jesus first in our vocation. That no matter where Jesus puts you as a student, as a worker, no matter what restrictions your company puts on you, when you seek him first every day, you go into the office, the classroom, wherever, nothing can stop his kingdom from coming. And we've got an amazing story we're going to share with you of God using one of our members uh, just to plant seeds of hope that didn't bloom for almost a decade later in another person's life. And so so it's going to be a great story of how God used one of our Christian chapel educators to be part of his story in a student's life that he really didn't know about, and then they they kind of reconnected in this past year. So I really hope you'll be here the next couple weeks, but let's jump right in today. So Jesus says, seek first. And when he says seek, what he means is pursue. Okay, so, so don't misunderstand. Seek does not mean that Jesus has hidden the kingdom and now it's your job to go find it. And this is not a like national treasure adventure of can you follow the clues and get to the right place at the right time. When Jesus says seek, what he means is pursue. Like it's very obvious, it's out there, it's right there for you to see. So you just need to go after it. So what we want to understand from the very beginning in, in this area and any other area, if you are going to seek after Jesus, you are going to have to become a person of action. You cannot pursue anything sitting on your couch, right? You, at, at a certain point, you've got to get up and you've got to go after it. And this is what Jesus is telling us. You've got to pursue it. Right, school, school started this past week, I think, for most of our junior high and high school students, a lot of colleges starting the next week or so. Um, and so we're all kind of in that, that realm where uh, maybe you're hoping that you're going to get better grades this year. Maybe you're a parent hoping your child is going to get better grades this year. But I think almost everywhere, every student starts a year wanting to get good grades. But if you've been in that, in that system in any way, as a student, as a teacher, as a parent, you know there's a world of difference between wanting good grades and pursuing good grades. I have been both students in my life. There were seasons where I just wanted good grades and didn't do anything about it. You know, and that worked really well in like kindergarten. Got by in first grade, got by in second grade, fifth grade math. Suddenly school was hard for me. And it was the first time in my life that I was confronted with the idea of if I want that, I have to work for it. And I, you know what I decided? I didn't want that. And that worked really well for me until parent-teacher conferences uh, halfway through the, the first semester. 
And I, I'll never forget, I mean, I knew things weren't going well. I just didn't know how bad they were going until my mom came home with the report card and gave me the no child of mine speech, right? No child of mine's going to get a grade like this. I'm like, uh, she's like, well, how come we went through your math homework and it's full of incompleted assignments that you didn't need? Like if you had turned them in, you would have at least got 50%. Instead, you got zeros. And I remember looking at her and telling her, mom, it'll be fine. <laughs> and I remember her letting me know very, very clearly it was not fine and it would not be fine unless there were some massive changes. And it was the first time in my life that I had to understand this idea of, oh, so there's a difference between wanting something and pursuing something. And she made it clear to me in no uncertain terms that I was going to start pursuing a better math grade, right? And, and so it was this shift, and, and you've been there in different areas of life. There are things that you want, but you do nothing to get them, and you usually don't get them. And then there are things that you want, and you pursue them, and often you receive them. What Jesus is telling us is, hey, you need to pursue the kingdom, being a Christian is a life of intentional pursuit. It's seeing where Jesus is, what he's calling you to do, and making the choice every single day to walk in that direction. Then he tells us you're not just going to seek him. He's not just going to be an item on your to-do list with everything else. Not like, well, if, if, I, if I finish all the errands and all the work commitments and take care of the family, then if I have time and energy left over after watching two hours of Netflix at night, then I'll seek Jesus. No, he tells us you're going to seek me and you're going to seek me first. Right, so seek is pursuit. First, he's telling us you've got to prioritize. You've got to put me at the top of your list. Now, now if, if you or I are going to any person and telling them, hey, I want to be number one in your life, that means there's something wrong with us, right? Like we're weak, we're needy, we're insecure. But Jesus, when he says he wants to be first, it's none of that. Right? He's not being weak. He's not being needy. He's not insecure. He's not trying to get you to fulfill a need that he has. Instead, Jesus understands he is the only one who can hold up under the weight of being in first place in your life. And, and so you, you think about it just in, in, in really kind of your relationships. You might like the idea of being the number one priority in someone else's life, but you can't actually live under that weight, right? Like Angie, she doesn't actually want to be my number one priority where I put all of my hopes and all of my dreams and all of my, like I've got issues that she can't deal with. Right? And it's the same thing with you. You don't want that weight in someone else's life, and you don't want to put it on someone else. As a parent, I can't put that weight on my children. They will not hold up trying to fulfill all of my unmet expectations. Right? I can't live my life through them and hope that they can make everything right that I did wrong. That's not a fair thing to place on them. You can't place that weight on your work. You can't place that weight on your achievement. Everything in life will fall short. And he, just in between services, there, there were two guys who stopped me and said, hey, I just want to let you know, this is how that was true in my life. So one of them told me, he said, I, I spent my life pursuing education. I earned a PhD. I got the dream job. I've written six books. And he said, what I've learned is every single step along the way, the next achievement that I thought would satisfy never did. 
He said, I always experienced life in the process, but when I reached the end goal, it never brought that sense of peace and joy and lasting significance that I wanted. And then another guy stopped me and said, hey, when I was in high school, I got invited in, I think he said it was 1990, to a, a track camp that Carl Lewis was at. Now, some of you, you might not know who Carl Lewis was. He's a, a world-class sprinter, multi-time gold medalist. He was the fastest man on earth for a pretty long stretch of time, one of the greatest track athletes in, in U.S. Olympic history. And so he's at this track camp with Carl Lewis, and they, they, at the end of the workout, they all kind of gather around, and they're able to ask him questions. And he said, one of the kids there raised his hand and said, Carl, will you tell us what it feels like when you've put in all the work and you've dedicated your life to a craft and you're standing at the top of the Olympic podium with the gold medal around your neck, hearing the national anthem being played. And he said, Carlos told that group of kids, it's the emptiest feeling in the world. He said, because I've given my whole life to this thing and it just can't fulfill me. And you've been there in other places, right? I've been there in other places where we just realize the things I'm chasing They can't hold up under the weight of that. And so what Jesus is trying to help us understand is the the nature of the relationship between our pursuit and our priorities. And he's telling us that, that we pursue what we prioritize, and then what we prioritize will fuel our pursuit. So it kind of starts this 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 kind of unending circle. And if you're applying that to good things like the kingdom of God, what it means is as you seek the kingdom of God, you experience the kingdom of God and you prioritize the kingdom of God. So you're going to seek it more and you're just going to keep going again and again and again and again. And that spiral is going to lead you up and into life. But you can also get in that spiral and it will lead you down and into death. And you begin to chase things and prioritize things and they lead you further and further and further and further away. Now, you, you've experienced this in, in some just natural ways. Like for, for Angie and I, when I was a, a teenage boy in high school in Topeka, Kansas, I looked down the row at church, and I saw Angie Councilman. And in that moment, I decided she was a priority. I need to know her. She needs to know me. <laughs> right? Like, the, the God, God has spoken and uh, it took a couple years to wear her down uh, to where she could hear his voice too. But, but in that moment, what happened? She became a priority, so I started to pursue her. And the more I pursued her, right, I, I, I learned her phone number, 478-4660, right? There you go. Uh, it, it, was back, it was a landline. You guys know what those are? Some of you don't, right? <laughs> and so with a landline, you ran the risk of when I call the house, I might have to talk to a parent first. So they and you make your voice extra deep in case dad answered, is Angie there? <laughs> it's like, who's, who's this weirdo, heavy breed? No, she's not. Don't call back. Uh, you know, and, and so, so I would start to call her, and I would start to talk to her, and I would find out, like, hey, what do you like? And she'd tell me, I'd be like, I like all of those things, too. <laughs> right? Of what's your favorite move? Mine, too. Yeah, what do you want to do? I want, and I would find out where she was, and I would, I would go there. Not in like a stalker sense. <laughs> You know, like it was, it was, it was definitely awkward at times, but, but, you know, but what happened, the more time we spent together, the more of a priority she became in my life. And the more of a priority she became, the more I pursued her. 
And then the more I pursued her, the more of a priority she became. And it just became this, you know, until, until suddenly we're, we're on a knee and I'm putting a ring on her finger and then we're getting married and then we're committing to love each other for the rest of our life. And, and then the, the challenge, if you're married, you know, is to keep that cycle going, right? Like just because you say I do doesn't mean like, okay, that's cool. I'm gonna get some other priorities now. Like you gotta keep the pursuit. You gotta keep the priority. You gotta keep, and if you keep it going, you will experience an even deeper level of love and satisfaction in your marriage. But you've got to keep going. And and so what I want you to think about, if you wanna grab that little journal, just we're gonna real quick have you think about a couple questions. First of all, what are you pursuing and prioritizing? What are you pursuing and prioritizing right now? So um, I'll just talk, you make some notes, but think about uh, this week, where are you going to spend most of your time? Maybe it's work, maybe it's school. Think about uh, what are you most excited to do this week? Like, what are you looking forward to? Or maybe it's on the other side. You know, all our our pursuits aren't always necessarily uh, fun and and life-giving. Sometimes it's problems we have to deal with. So so maybe think, maybe your pursuits or priorities are the things that you worry about as soon as you wake up in the morning. What keeps you up at night? Or what do you hope? What do you dream? What's the thing in your life that you think, if I could just have that, life would be good? Or what's the possession that you're praying about right now? What's the relationship that you're longing to see started or fixed? Like, these are the pursuits. These are the priorities. And so now that, now that you've kind of thought through some of those, I want you to think that the second part of that of what happens if you catch it? Okay, what are you going to do if you actually achieve those things? And, and sometimes it's going to be really good, right? You're going to chase the job and you're going to get the job. And then you're going to work the job. And you're going to pursue the relationship, and God's going to open the door, and you're going to step into the relationship. You're asking him for provision, and he's going to provide. You're asking him to save, to heal, to deliver, and he's going to do those kinds of things. But then there are some other things that we might be chasing that if we, if we catch them, we're not going to like the results. There might be some relationships you're chasing, and when you catch it, it's going to bring destruction into your life. There might be some possessions you're chasing after, and when you catch it, you're going to realize you've lost your soul in the process. There might be some jobs you're chasing, and when you get it, you realize it does not match up at all with what they describe to you. There might, maybe it's that new car, and you chase it, and you catch it, and then the, the first payment comes, and you realize it's not as manageable as the finance guy made me believe at the dealership. Right? We've had these experiences, but, but we just want to stop, and this is what Jesus is inviting us to, just stop and evaluate. Can the thing you're pursuing stand up under the weight of being your number one priority. And in everything except Jesus, the answer is going to be no. There's not a relationship that can hold up to that weight. There's not a job. There's not a dream. There's not a hope. There's not a possession. There's not a state of life. And it's not about more recognition. It's not about more money. It's not about more fame. You can get all of those things. And if they are your primary priority in life, they're going to leave you empty and disappointed. So this is why Jesus tells us, he says, look, you're going to seek first, but he also clarifies what we're going to seek first. He says, his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, again, you can read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 to understand what his kingdom and his righteousness look like. You can read through the first four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to understand it. But to put it very, very simply for you this morning, the kingdom and righteousness of God looks like Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus is inviting you and I to pursue first 
is his power and his presence in our life. He's saying, hey, just, he says it in, in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What it looks like to seek Jesus first is not necessarily, I'm going to engage in all these spiritual disciplines. I'm going to do all these things at church. I'm going to sacrifice in all these ways. To seek him first means to seek to be in his presence. To hear him tell you, you are known and loved. To hear him say, I know everything you've ever done. I know the skeletons you've never told anyone about. I know where all the bodies are buried, and I love you, and I forgive you, and let's get moving on a path of new life. This is what it means to chase his kingdom and his righteousness. And again, the reason Jesus tells us to pursue him first is because he is the only pursuit that will never let you down. He's the only one that can hold up under the weight of your worship. He's the only one that could sustain you. He's the only one that can fulfill you. He's the only one that can bring you permanent and lasting peace. And, and, and maybe you need to go later and you need to read that passage in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Because if you go back and you look at your priorities list and you look at your pursuit list, most of what we're pursuing and most of what we're prioritizing, at its core, rest is the ultimate goal. We want to achieve, I mean, we're going to work so hard so we can find rest in our security. And we're going to chase these relationships so we can find rest from our loneliness. We're going to chase these possessions so we can find rest from our insecurity. And everything we're chasing, what we're looking for is a space where our soul can be still and our soul can be at rest. And what Jesus is telling us is you're only going to find that in him. It doesn't mean that all of these other things are sinful and wrong. What it means is they can't stand up under the weight of your worship. You can't ask them to do things for you they were not designed to do. For some of you, you that are married this morning, the reason you're so disappointed in your marriage is because you're carrying an expectation that your spouse will fulfill you, that your spouse will complete you. Right? Some of you, the reason you have such problems with your kids is because you, you really, though you've maybe never actually voiced it, you have this hope of they're the ones who are going to validate all of the choices that you've made. The, the reason you're so dissatisfied in your job is because instead of seeing it as a way for God to provide for your family and a way for you to be part of his kingdom in that environment, you're asking it to provide a sense of significance and meaning and recognition that it's just not created to give you. So what Jesus is inviting us to is said, hey, those other things, it's not bad to have plans for your marriage or plans for your family or plans for your job or plans for your school, but you just can't make those your primary pursuits. So they're always going to let you down. But then I love the way Jesus finishes Matthew 6, He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Now, I don't know what your church background might be. Maybe you have no church background outside of Christian chapel this morning. Right? Or maybe you grew up in, in different life-giving churches. I know a lot of us did, and, and our lives are really better from that. But I, I know when it comes to this idea of seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that there are, there are parts of the church where sometimes the last half of that verse is misinterpreted. 
And it's presented like, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and forget all those other things because they're a waste of time and they're only for lukewarm Christians. And if you're really serious, you'll stop cheering for sports teams. You'll stop chasing hobbies. You'll stop worrying about your car, worrying about your clothes, and you'll just serve Jesus and be at church all the time. And if you've ever been in that environment, you know it's suffocating. It's awful because God has wired us to care about all of these other things. And he's the one who put those passions in our heart. He's the one who gifted us in these certain ways. And for someone to come and be like, look, you got to choose between Jesus or the desires that God has given you. It's kind of like, it doesn't make sense. Right? And, and so it gets communicated of like, hey, if you're serious about Jesus, you need to give up that music pursuit because it's a waste of time. Hey, if you're serious about Jesus, you can't be fooling around with all that, that, that art and the pursuit over there. That's not going anywhere. If you're serious about Jesus, you need to cheer as loud for him on a Sunday morning as you do for your team on a Friday night. Anybody ever heard that? I remember being in a chapel service in college, and, and the guy that was preaching said, he got up and he said, I'll know Jesus is moving on this campus when you yell the same way in chapel that you yell in the gym at the basketball game. And my immediate thought was, that guy's never been to a basketball game. Because I don't want you yelling in here what I yell at a basketball game. Right? Like, it's going to be awkward if I'm over here worshiping with Angie and start yelling at Lauren, open your eyes! Is your niece on the worship team? Right? Like, you don't want me to heckle. That's not what, and I understand what he was trying to say, but, but he was creating this false dichotomy for us of it's one or the other. Right? And, and what, we're, what Jesus is actually telling us here is not that those other things are wrong or they're sinful. You got to leave them alone. He's just saying, hey, don't worship them. Don't make them primary. God has gifted you. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. He's given you responsibilities. And and so we're not going to guilt you into caring about your job. We're not going to make you feel guilty about wanting to make plans for how you're going to parent your children. We're not going to make you feel bad about you have an educational path that you're trying to pursue. We're not going to make you feel bad about, I I think I want to get a promotion, and so I'm going to go after it. We're not going to make you feel bad about we've outgrown our house, and we're looking for for a new one that God will lead us to. We're not going to make you feel bad about any of that. I'm not going to make you feel bad about the sports car you drive. I'm just going to ask you if I can drive it, right? This, this is just all, this is the way. This is what Jesus is telling us here. He's saying, look, it's not that you, he's not inviting us to move into the desert and abandon all of our places in society. What he's inviting us into is a lifestyle where he is always first. And because he's always first, he says he'll take care of all of these other things. I didn't, and those other things, sometimes they're sinful, and if they're sinful, we're going to let them go. But oftentimes, they're good things that we have turned into God things. And as Jesus reveals that to us over the coming weeks, it doesn't mean that, oh man, I, I've idolized my, my spouse. I, gotta, I, I guess I got to leave her. <laughs> not it, right? That is not the application of Matthew 6.33. The application is put him first, and he's going to take care of that relationship. So for me as a husband, what's the best thing I can do for my wife? I can put Jesus first. As a dad, what's the best thing I can do for my children? More than working through strategic plans with them, more than helping them understand the difference between wanting and pursuing, the best thing I can do for them is show them what it looks like to put Jesus first. 
What's the best thing I can do as a pastor? It's not preaching. It's not ministry to you. It's not leading organization. It's, it's to put Jesus first in my life. And what he's telling us and what he's telling you is if you'll put him first, he'll take care of all the other things. And all the other things include all of the things that keep you up at night. Anybody ever woke up in the middle of the night concerned about a financial problem? Right? No? That's fine. I mean, you guys, you're apparently loaded and and got more money than you know what to do with. Uh, Some of us, we've got kids that, that are going to college soon. And sometimes we wake up in the middle of the night, almost in a cold sweat of like, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for this? Right? It's just that panic of like, I see what we're saving and I know it's not enough, but the only solution is to move out of the house and live in a tent and put all of our money into college. Right? Like that, that doesn't seem like it's going to work. But what's Jesus saying? He's not saying, don't worry about it. He's saying, look, just seek me first and I'm going to take care of that. Just seek me first and I'll take care of that. I mean, anybody ever woke up in the middle of the night worried about a health problem? Worried about a failure? Worried about a family member? You ever, first thing in the morning, you wake up and the first thought is things that you can't control. What's Jesus saying? He's not saying, forget about those things. He's saying, prioritize them. Seek him first and he'll take care of that. Right? What what Jesus is, is really offering to us here, he's saying, when you seek Jesus first, everything else falls into place. And this is what we want in life. Is is there anybody who doesn't want everything to fall into place? Anybody who just woke up this morning thought, you know what I hope today has? Some drama and uncertainty. Like, I'm just really, maybe maybe someone will yell at me. You know, if I could get flipped off on the way to church, that'd be awesome. And then when I got home, if my wife could say, we need to talk, that would be great. If my kids could tell me I'm a bad parent, if I could have a little job insecurity. Like, nobody does that. We wake up every day just thinking, Man, I want everything to fall into place. And what Jesus tells us is when you follow me, it will. Now, now you got to be careful here, right? Because that, that can sound like a false promise. Of, hey, say yes to Jesus and you'll never have another worry in the world. Right? That, now, that's not entirely true. There will still be things that could cause worry. But they won't cause it for you. Because you know who controls your life. Like you're still, there, there are two people, two types of people in the world. There's people who follow Jesus and people who don't. And, and we all have the same experiences. We all walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But when I know Jesus, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. We're all going to know seasons of want and need. But when I know Jesus, I know the Lord who provides. We're all going to know seasons of grief and loss. But when I know Jesus, I do not mourn as those who have no hope. We're all going to know seasons of success. But when I know Jesus, I'm going to know that I can't put my full identity in the things that have brought me success. What Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, is he's putting himself on the hook for everything you care about. Do you understand the significance of that promise? That the creator of the universe looks at your life and says, I care about it all. Every single thing you worry about, I care about. Every single thing that causes you fear, I'm concerned about. 
Every single space where you don't know what the future holds, my hand is at work in that space. Every child I've given you, I love them more than you do. Every hope and dream you have for the future, I know it and I'm aware of it. Every fear and regret you have about the past, he sees it and he's working in it. He is telling us in Matthew 6, if you'll just seek me first, I'll take care of all of that. It's the deal of a lifetime. And you're, you're still going to struggle. You're still going to go through seasons of uncertainty. But in them all, what are you going to find? You're going to find peace and rest. Because you're going to learn the stability of your soul does not reside in your circumstances, but in the God who's above them all. So you're going to seek his kingdom first. You're going to experience the transforming power of his righteousness. And then he's going to take care of all of those other things. And he's going to show you how, I mean, it's not just this passive, like, okay, I follow Jesus. He's got it. I get to check out of marriage, check out of parenting, check out of my job. Like, it's cool. Money will just show up. That's not, that's not it. It's I'm going to seek him first. And then he's going to show me his plan over here. And I'm going to pursue it. And then he's going to show me his path over here. And I'm going to walk in it. And then he's going to show me this danger here. And I'm going to turn away from it. Right? When we seek him first, we hear his voice, we see his path, and we experience the power of his presence inside of us. I mean, to, to, to just put it very, very simply, kind of a, a guiding thought we'll have through this whole series is we want to pursue priorities with promised payoffs. Right? And, and I want you to hear Matthew 6, 33, not as, not as something you're supposed to strive for, like, okay, I'll put Jesus first and I'll try to climb up to that and I'll try to live that way. I want you to hear it as God's promise to you. Seek me first and I got you. Seek me first and I got that. Seek me first and I'll take care of it all. He's put himself on the hook for you and his life, death, and resurrection guarantee there is nothing you are facing that is too big for him. There's nothing you're facing that's too strong for him, nothing you're facing that surprises him or turns him away. He sees you, he knows you, and he is coming to work in your life right where you are today. And so our only response is, all right, I'll seek him first. Now, here's the thing, that, that might seem like a scary commitment to make, but you've put your hope in much, much lesser things than Jesus. And anybody got some workout equipment at, ho- at your house that promised results and fell short, Right? Anybody got a pair of pants they bought? They promised they would fit. They didn't. <laughs> Bringing a shirt like that to Chris Godfrey tomorrow. That didn't turn out well. Here you go. <laughs> right? We've, we've got these moments. The investment. It's a sure thing, man. It's a sure, we'll double your money. Or we'll lose it all. Right? Hey, hey, hey. Just, if, you, if you take this little ACT prep, you'll get a 35 or a 3.5. <laughs> right? Like, like you just, there's, there's no sure thing, what Jesus is promising you, though, I promise, if we could go around the room this morning, and person after person could tell you, when I sought him first, he really did take care of it all. He walked me through the darkest night. He walked me through the sickness. He walked me through the loss. It might not have changed all of my circumstances, but it changed the way I lived in those moments. My soul was at peace and rest because of him. This is Jesus's promise. When you seek him first, what you recognize is he is not the God who's far off waiting for you to climb up and access his presence. But when you seek Jesus first, what you actually realize is he's the one who's been there all along. 
He's the voice you've always been hearing. He's the one who's always been providing. He's the one who's always been protecting. He's the one who led you to this place, to this moment, to hear that when you put him first, he's got you. So if you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us this morning, and then the band's going to come back and they'll lead us in a final song. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we come to you today so thankful, Lord, for your promise to us that if we seek you first, we pursue your kingdom and your righteousness, you're going to take care of all of it. So Lord, we come first and we come to repent of the things that we have pursued and prioritized above you. Lord, some of them are good gifts that we've turned into God. Some of them are sinful things that we have no business investing our time and energy in. And in whatever space we find them, Lord, we repent and we lay them down today. We ask that you would forgive us, Lord, for chasing after smaller and lesser gods. Forgive us for thinking we will find our meaning and significance in anything but you. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking we can achieve our way out of the hole that we're in. Lord, as we come and we repent of our sins and we repent of our misplaced priorities, we dedicate our lives, our minds, our souls, our relationships to pursuing your kingdom first. Jesus, I pray in these moments that you would come and be personal and powerful to each one of us. Show us, Lord, that even as you highlight our sin, you do it not to, to shame us, not to condemn us, but to bring us into an experience of life. Lord, we want to be kingdom people. We want to be cleansed and stand in the righteousness of Christ. And then, Lord, you see all the other things we carry. You see the weight and the responsibilities. You see the, the plans and the uncertainties. You see the hopes and the dreams and the fears and the failures. And Lord, today we just come and, and we want to make a commitment. We're going to seek you first and we're going to trust you with all of those other things. Believing that you see them, you know them, and you have a plan for every one of them. So Jesus, as we sing of your greatness and your power, will you remind us that that greatness and power is at work in us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.